This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen or use the link in the show notes. Welcome to this episode of The Pugilist. It will be Dan running as a Hardman podcast episode for our, our main feed. We want to give our listeners an insight into what's happening in The Pugilist. If they don't know, The Pugilist is a fighter. It's a boxer. It's also a name we stole from Brian Sauvé. Yes. But I'm claiming it as our own. Yeah, it's now, it's now yours. And so here we are weighing in in the left corner at, mm. I'm guessing... 325 pounds of pure muscle. Actually, I stepped on the scale this morning. Did I've you? been afraid since carnivore. I have been afraid to step on the scale. Have Guess you? what? Same weight. What, what, what are you at now? 204. 204. Yeah. We're, we're actually not that far away. I know. That's really sad too, because I've got a good like eight inches on you. I know. I don't know. I keep telling my kids. I was like, no, it's all density. It is, well, <laughs> yeah. It's all it is density. density. You know what? I just, that's, I, I tell them kids, I'm going to run with it. I don't know if it's true or not, but, uh, definitely is my bones are made of lead. So that's actually not true. That's probably true. You are the hard man. Maybe it just means that your bones are really hard. And that's yes. It. Yes, exactly. Uh, so Dan, we're going to talk about a number of things in a previous episode of the pugilist, which people can find on the Patreon exclusive channel. We were talking about single guys and hanging out with girls, having lots of individual girlfriends. Uh, we are, this is just a teaser, but we are going to uh, talk about a Q and a, one of the questions that was sent in as a follow-up to that episode. And I thought it was pretty helpful. Somebody had asked, they said, okay, well, what if you're single and you're hanging out in large groups of guys and gals? So maybe there's like 15 of you, something like that. Is that Okay. Uh, because obviously young guys are trying to be guarded and faithful and um, not get in bad situations, not lead girls on that sort of thing. But they're also thinking about how do I actually go about meeting girls? So we're going to talk about some options for that in the behind the paywall version of the pugilist. Excellent. So looking forward to that conversation. Yeah, it'll be your great. Thoughts. Yeah. That, that was actually, the, I think, the first time that you've actually even heard the question. It was. So that's kind of the beauty of this show. We'll roll into it now. Uh, we kind of let Dan know what's going to be on the show as the show is happening. Mm -hmm. I would like to think, Dan, that this is a uh, production strategy to bring out your best. You know, that's, that's quite funny because I find that my worst <laughs> is surprises. <laughs> no, you love surprises. <sighs> I love to see you surprised on uh, the podcast. So, Dan, without right. further ado, in this episode, we're going to be talking about how can young men particularly prepare for marriage? And we'll probably do more content on this as well as how can young women prepare for marriage. But as you start to think through this issue, uh, you've done a lot of pastoring, a lot of young guys who come to you, maybe in that 16 to 20 range uh, generally, but it could be older too. And they come to you and they say, okay, I want to start getting ready for marriage. Where do you start with principles for these guys? What should they be thinking about? What sorts of practical things do they need to start addressing in their life to get ready for 
marriage? Yeah, that's a really good question. Actually, the time to start is 16 to 20. Mm -hmm. That's a really good time to, to think about it because most of the guys that sit in my office and ask questions about preparing for marriage is after they're 24 mm. plus years old and they've done, they've figured out they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And then they're trying to work with a whole bunch of baggage and mistakes that they've made in the past and they're already aged a little bit. So um, what does a guy do to prepare for marriage, especially a younger guy that's in that 16 to 20 year age range? Well, one of the things that you have to understand one characteristic amongst people that rules the world is masculine confidence and competence. That's, that's going to be the one thing that both men and women are attracted to is masculine confidence and competence. You can, you can be confident obviously without any competency and you've seen men that are competent without any confidence, but those two together go a long ways as far as attracting, you know, both friends, allies, and, you know, with other men and with attracting a wife. Do you desire to be shrewd financially for the sake of your family and future generations? Well, we know that a robust society depends on getting this right. Success in building and passing on personal wealth. Let's be mature, responsible leaders with the resources God expects us to turn a profit on to love our children and children's children well. Joe Garrisey with Backwards Planning Financial integrates investments, debt, insurance, tax strategies, and legacy planning in a holistic approach, coaching his clients to act wisely. You can do better than you received. You can affect your family trajectory and maximize your efforts to set up long-term fruitfulness. Joe starts with your values and goals, then provides impactful counsel to help you form and implement your financial plan. Click on the link in the description for Backwards Planning Financial and contact Joe today to get started. Well, it's, it's really interesting that you say that because when I think about uh, something we talked about in the last episode of The Pugilist, we were talking about how really, guys, your main group of friends should be a gang of brotherhood of men. And one of the things that this will do is that when you prove courage and competence within that group of men, you become recognized by those men. But then that also puts you forward in the eyes of the women in the adjacent community as well. So women are typically looking for a guy who's like, who do the other men respect here? Mm, yeah, that's really good. Right. The other guys are like, no, that guy's a king. Yeah. And so the ladies see that too. So that, that become, becomes something where you're like marriageable. So I want to dig into, first of all, competence. Um, there's a number of things that a guy should be competent at. Kind of the foundational piece, Genesis 2.15, protection and provision. So you need to be able to defend yourself, defend your home, um, but also provide for it, cultivate the home. We're thinking about very basic things. Like you need a job that is going to provide for your family. You need to be the kind of guy that's a reliable worker. And you have, maybe you're not, you're not a six-figure guy at the age of 16, but somebody ought to be able to look at you and see things like work ethic. They ought to be able to look at you and say, I think the trajectory for this young man is really good. And I, I'm looking, a lady is often looking at the trajectory and she's saying, where will he be at 30? Where will he be at 35? That's really what you're, you're being evaluated in a, the eyes of a lot of women. So my question, Dan, is you, let's start with that one piece of your job. 16 year old, what sorts of things are you aiming for working towards in, in the work competency sphere? 
Yeah, that's really, that's a really good question. There's a, um, it was a friend of my mom's and she was talking about her dating Mm -hmm. her husband. Okay. And it's, it's really funny because we automatically assume partly because of the low class of the modern woman, like just honestly, like low character kind of ladies in our, in our general culture, I'm not talking about Christians or, or whatever, but just the, the low class, low character of, of the modern woman doesn't appreciate this as much. What they'll, what you'll find commonly amongst modern women is that they want a six figure guy, the work ethic, the skills, the competencies aren't high in the list, just brute income. Now, what my, my mother's friend was saying is that when she was dating her then husband, uh, they didn't, he didn't have any money. He was a hard worker. He had this old piece of junk car and they would go out on dates. And she's like, there was this one date in particular. He had this janky old car and he's like, it broke down. The car broke down. They're on a date. And she had to steer while he's pushing this car into safety. Right. And this is like, you know, 20 some years after the, the car had broke down, she's telling the story and she's like, that was one of the most attractive things to my husband that attracted me to my husband is that he was a man of great frugality. He worked really hard. And um, even though he didn't have a a nice car, uh, I could tell that he was going to take care of me, Mm. you know? And, and so I think what, what a high quality woman is really going to be attracted to is a man that is cultivating an ability to take care of his work, right. To, to pay, close attention to his work, to be diligent in his work. Be excellent. Yeah. And what do you do with the, the fruit of your work, which is your, your money and being, being a good steward uh, and being a good manager of your, of your money and cultivating those skills. Those are kind of the way I think about work because you're, you're cultivating skills. You're doing something that produces and you need to be diligent in your work. So young men that are high school age or, or, or in, into college, you need to be able to uh, cultivate a, a good work ethic, which man sounds like such a boomer thing to say, well, just work hard. But, but honestly, like you should be diligent at your work, read the Proverbs. It is full of contrast between the diligent man and the foolish man. You need to be diligent in your work and in cultivating skills and, 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 and working hard. And then also you are going to get compensated for your work. And what you do with your money is also very important because that's what the modern woman is looking at. She's looking at six figures, right? That's, she just cares about income, right? But that's a natural, natural feminine characteristic is to desire security from her husband. And so one of the ways that that's going to manifest itself is in finances. And so I think if you can work hard and she sees that, and you're diligent in advancing in your skills and in your competencies and work, and you're able to manage your income very well, that's going to provide a lot of security for women. And it's going to be very attractive to a woman. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. One of the, the, I mean, I see where, you know, certain people were going with it. Um, I plan on reviewing the book. I think there's a lot of good things in it, but like Vody Bakum in what he must be, if he's going to marry my daughter. One of the things it's, it's helpful book. Uh, but one of the things that kind of came out of that was this idea of like, before you can get married, you have to have 40 grand in a bank account or, you know, almost like setting this standard so high and saying, you have to have all these things accomplished 
Whereas what I'm saying is, I think what you need to do is, yeah, you, you, you need to have a reasonable amount of savings, but you need to prove yourself in the core principles and character that will, you know, make you a good provider. Um, not necessarily that you have all this cash saved up. No, I think in a lot of ways that's unrealistic, especially given our economic moment, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to be able to just get a, get a retail job and to save 40 grand. Are you kidding me? And not live with your parents and, and, you know, not have car debt and right. student loan debt and all. I mean, that's a big ask. What I would look for if I had a daughter and there was a man, a young man who was interested in marrying her. And I asked him about his budget and he said, here's my budget. And he was able to tell you what his budget is and how he was able to, to provide like that's, that gives me confidence. Yeah. So for, for young guys, that would be a really good thing to anticipate those types of conversations. Hopefully you have a father working you through it, but a lot of guys don't. Right. And so one of the things is saying like, okay, if your prospective father-in-law or, you know, the, the, the father of the girl that you would like to date, if if you were to approach him and he asks you a simple question, like what's your financial business career plan? It would be good to actually have thought through that. Yes. Um, so, you know, a lot of guys, if you say, well, I'm working at the Seven Eleven, and I don't know, I just try and save up enough money. So I have beer money for the weekend. Well, that's like an F minus answer. But if you could be working at the same Seven Eleven, and you say, well, I work at the Seven Eleven during the day. I'm going to uh, night school to become an electrician. So I'm taking my certification in five years. I'll be, you know, certified for X, Y, and Z. That'll push my pay to here. Like that's a plan. Yeah. You, again, though, that's competence and confidence. Yes. You know that. And really the way that you get that is from some of our prior episodes where we've talked about having a mission, mm-hmm. like being a principled man that has a mission, yeah, meaning a you, you know, like the path forward. This is where I'm pointed. This is where I'm going to go. And this is how I'm going to get there. Obviously that's competence and confidence. And so developing that is really important because the thing is one thing that, that men do, and you can probably relate this to this to a degree. So you recall at graduation from high school. Okay. And you graduation parties, you know, church and everything like that. You get people are like, Oh, you're graduating from high school. What's your plan? And it feels really good to say, oh, I'm going to school to be a writer or whatever you're going to school to be. You know, at that time I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Well, I don't know. I just, I ended up working full time out of, out of high school before I went to school. Uh, and it always made me feel like I was not very high value because, because people you did would ask plan. and I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, it's, like the dreaded, like, it's like the dreaded question, especially as you approach the end of like. I remember approaching the end of college and people are like, so what do you got lined up? You're like, I don't know yet. Graduation. I hope dude, I if just I pass killed, killed a few seasons of call of duty. I mean, come on, <laughs> don't say that. That would be terrible. That actually leads me to the next question though. Dan, that I have is okay. Let's say you're a, a lady and you're, you know, thinking about these prospective young men or you're a father how would you like what you're looking at these young guys, what would be red flags uh, just based on what we've talked about with uh, competence, courage, work ethic, provider type roles, what would be a red flag for you? Mm, yeah. So I, w- there's a couple of different things that come to mind. The first thing is it's really hard to judge actions. Like you said, Seven Eleven. that's a great example. Just because a, a man is working at Seven Eleven as suitor for your daughter, 
or, you know, if you're a lady looking at a guy working at Seven Eleven has a certain stigma, obviously that's why you used it, but it's really hard to judge just that base, you know, just that action. Especially Re- for young guys, like entry level jobs, like that's all you could, you know, generally. Well, yeah, they're, and you're an entry level guy. Uh, right. Quite honestly, if you, if you have no work experience, you need low, a low entry level sort of job because it's a low skill. It's a low skill job. That's what you're qualified to do to build skills. And so really what it comes down to, I think is judging a man's character, right? Is judging a man's character. So you have to be able to filter actions through character. Mm. One of the things is reputation. Like you talked about, how's a man known among his friends? How's a man known by his pastor? What about his father? What does his father think if he's a respectable man of his son? You know, because um, one of the, as you've been asking these questions, I have young boys, you know, and I'm looking at, at the future thinking, what would I do for my sons? Let's say my son is working at 7-Eleven. And I'm hoping he has a path forward and he's thinking this is the, the step to the next rung of the ladder and me building experience. And he goes, you know, he finds a godly, beautiful woman that he wants to, wants to marry one day, but he doesn't have 40 grand in his bank account. What is my responsibility as a father? Well, if he's a wise son, if he's a diligent son, I want to be there to help him. But if it's a foolish son, I'm not going to give him 40 grand. Are you kidding me? The guy's working at 7-Eleven because he doesn't know what to do with his life. You know, so I'm not going to do that. So his reputation um, from father to son, you know, is, is not great because he's a man of low character. You know, so I, it, that is the intangibles are much more difficult to judge, but they're necessary because it's only through the intangibles like character in which you can measure action. Yeah, that's right. Unless so, it's overtly sinful. Like, so a lot of things that you'd be looking for a red flag, you're basically looking for the red flags of the foolish son. Um, one would be, uh, right off the top of my head, would be this is not necessarily in the role of provider, but sexual purity mm-hmm. uh, for young men. Is this young man addicted to pornography? Yeah. If I was a, a father of a daughter and I'm looking for a suitor, like I would want to know that. And so if you had a conversation with a young man and he said, yeah, you know, I'm, I I am addicted to pornography, you know, whatever. I'd be like, okay, well that, then we need to hit it like a monumental pause. It's either a no or a huge pause Mm -hmm. um, until some personal development can take place. But for me, that would be like a non-starter. Yeah. Okay. That's a non-starter. The other one would just simply be like, if he's not willing to work or he's lazy. Yeah. Sloth would be a big one. Yeah. Because that's a, that's a low character, low brow sort of, sort of man. Right. And then I think too of uh, on the flip side of sloth, just to go back for a second to the Seven Eleven example, you know, I think about my two older boys They're you know, at that age where they're working entry level type jobs, but they're working with the guys at St. Brennan's to figure out, you know, economics and that sort of thing. You could look at it and you're like, well, what are they doing this summer? Oh, they're cutting grass. And a lot of people could be like, well, that's, that's low on the social hierarchical pole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if you saw them working on a daily basis, you'd be like, oh, these guys are busting in it to make money. And you can actually make pretty good money in lawn care. And so I was thinking about my oldest um, on most Saturdays this summer. He goes and works at the, what do you call the thing downtown? Farmer's market? Yeah, the farmer's market. So he'll show up at 5.30. He gets up at 4.30. He works from 5.30 to 2. 
And then he comes home and he cuts grass until the sun goes down. And I'm like, okay, if I was a father, you know, a future father-in-law, like I'd see that and I'd be like, okay, that's, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for that, that it's, yeah, it's not that you're like a banker on wall street. In fact, that's maybe a non-starter too. I don't know. Um, but you know, that you have work ethic. You can see that somebody is wanting to provide. The other thing that I would say too, is I didn't start talking to my sons about the trajectory of their lives when they were 16. Like when they were four, I was like, you need to pick up your room because one day you too will have a household. <laughs> like they don't even know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like our whole bent from the beginning with our boys has been, we are aiming you at marriage, family, dominion, fruitfulness. So at 16, you know, now fast forward. Yeah. We have more in-depth conversations. They come home with cash and you say, okay, you got to tithe 10% of that. Um, here's how you do that. Blah, blah, blah. Let's get some accounts going, you know, all, all different ways to manage it. So they know how to manage. Um, they're learning that skill set. Uh, but then also thinking about like, you know, I'll say to them, you know, cause for teenage boys, the knee jerk is you get all this influx of cash and they're like, Oh, I'm going to go buy a new this. I'm going to go buy a new this. And I said, well, I want you to hold on to your money for two weeks. And I want you to, let's go through like a typical family budget, rent, insurance for your cars, da, 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 go down the list. And, and my oldest said to me, he goes, geez, dad, I mean, by the time you get done paying the bills, like there's either nothing left or you're like really close. And I was like, yeah, you should get used to that feeling. Yeah. And, and if you want to continue to grow, like grow your income, that's why you have to do it because you have to meet all these needs first. It's not yeah. just, I want to go buy the new tennis racket. Cause I just got 200 bucks. Yeah. You have to take care of the necessities first. So one of, one of my favorite stories that I had read to my boys was actually out of farmer boy. I think it was farmer boy. Yeah. In the Laura Ingalls Wilder series. So oh, he's yeah. a young boy, yeah. uh, Elmanzo. He's, he's at, uh, I think it was a 4th of July celebration in town and there was uh, lemonade for sale and it was like a nickel or a quarter. I can't remember. I can't remember the details, but pre-inflation. Yeah. And the boys start, <laughs> it, was, it was, the money was actually silver. Uh, so the boys were making fun of El Manzo because he, he didn't, they didn't think that his father would give him money to get lemonade. And so he goes and asks his, his father for some money. And his father gives him, I believe it was a silver dollar. Yeah, it gives him $1, which buys a lot of lemonade. And um, his father says to El Manzo, he says, you can go buy some lemonade and you can drink it and have fun. You know, and that's, that's great. You can do that. It's your money. You decide what to do with it. Or we go buy you a piglet and you raise that piglet and then you have piglets and then you sell those piglets and you turn that $1 into $5. And then maybe you can get the pony you want or whatever the story was, you know? And so Almanzo, because he's got a, a good father who is showing him how to manage his money decides he's going to buy a piglet and raise the piglets. <laughs> That's great. And yeah. And actually and gives him more money and makes him more money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's another character thing. I think, I think money is a big, can be a big red flag. You know, if um, it's more it's, about how you steward it though, is what you're saying. Yeah. And this is why fathers are so important in these sorts of dating relationships or courting relationships, whatever you want to call them, because you could have a young man that shows a lot of promise who might be, let's say he's a teller at a bank, you know, and he's 18 years old and he's making okay money for, you know, for an 18 year old. And he's driving like a new car, like a Subaru BRZ or something kind of fancy and flashy. 
And you have a young lady that's like, wow, this guy's really put together. Like he seems to work hard and he's got a nice car and like what, what more could a, could a girl want? And then you find out like, oh, he's actually in debt over 20 grand in this car. You know, he doesn't have any money because he spends it all on insurance, gas and the car. And that's, that's going to be a non-starter right there. So frugality. Yeah, frugality is really important. Because what that shows, what that reveals is a man that doesn't have a long-term vision. He has the confidence without competency, you know? Yeah. And this is one thing I, I did find helpful about Vody's book. Again, the book is what he must be. We'll talk about it in a future episode. Um, but there's a chapter of like, where he basically talks about if you can't find a son like this, make one. And so uh, for a lot of guys, like there's so many young men out there who with a little bit of fathering could be really good men. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they just don't have a dad. Um, so a lot of times too, it's like you, you do need to evaluate character and stuff like that. But I look, man, Dan, I look back at who I was at 16 and it's like embarrassing. Yeah. And, um, and then I think, well, over the years, it was just men discipling me who were like, oh, <laughs> don't do that with your money. That's stupid. Um, Cause I, I've made foolish decisions with money too. Um, so being willing to, I think, to work with guys on that process, um, before we move on, I just want to ask any other red flags that would come to mind with a young guy on the either provider protector front. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm guessing that most young ladies are going to be attracted to a somewhat physically fit guy, you know, Mm -hmm. not some big fat guy. Or, or maybe even a, like just a, a, a super, super scrawny really, guy. Yeah. A really scrawny guy. Um, I think interests, hobbies are also important. And I, this isn't going to be like a huge red flag necessarily, but if you've got a really fat guy or a really scrawny dude and you're like, oh, so what are you, what are you into? And the thing that they, that they really care about is like anime and video games, like probably not going to be the kind of guy that will, you know, d- continue to develop <laughs> into a masculine protector. Um, I'm not, sure there's a number of dad, and the thing is dads like, who are just laughing. Yeah. Like, I mean, a, it, the thing is like, you're free to enjoy those things as stupid as I think they are. <laughs> like there's freedom in Christ to enjoy non-pornographic anime uh, and to play video games. Like that's, that's fine. But, but hobbies reveal interests, reveal, loves and desires like care. And it comes down to character. Like if you have a young man that's into rock climbing, like as long as he's not worshiping it, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Like that's pretty masculine. Uh, you know, I'm partial to hunting and fishing and things like that. And obviously like hobbies, you know, can, can become problematic obviously, but, but it does reveal kind of like, what, what does this guy really like? You know, that's one of my favorite things to ask when I meet new men it's like, what do you do for fun? It is interesting you mentioned hobbies because it certainly in our culture, um, the church most of my life, mainline church, takes shots at men who have hobbies and boats and stuff like that. But one thing I have noticed is, uh, I, th- I think about my own father. He, he's always had a boat or a, you know a, a semi decent truck or a car he was working on. But man, if that he always took care of him. Yeah. Now, I actually think it revealed a lot about his character that. He would always tell me, he was like, if you have stuff, you have the responsibility to care for it. And mm-hmm. if you're not going to care for it, he would always say, get rid of it. But like he always modeled that. And so I think yeah. for a lot of men, rather than just taking shots at them, sure, you can worship, you know, your duck boat or, you know, your, right. your elk yeah. hunting or whatever it is. 
But a lot of times you can actually learn a lot about a guy too. If like realistically for a guy in our world to have time to hunt or fish and, you know, somewhat frequently and have the tools surrounding whatever that hobby is. Well, he's got to be a pretty high cap guy. Yeah. You also develop competencies within that, right? So doing hunting and fishing, you develop all sorts of competencies. Like you have to know too. how to operate a firearm yeah. and be proficient with it. You have to know how to be able to clean the firearm. You have to be able to navigate. Butcher the animal. Map. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that you have to develop uh, in conjunction with those skills to correlate with the hobby. I just think of my brother, my younger brother. He, he is a, he's a gearhead. He loves, well, he complains about wrenching on things, but he always has a project that he's just like the grumpy guy that, that secretly loves it. But he, he also likes to complain and fuss about it. But anyway, you know, so he's, he's got motorcycles, he's ATVs, like different cars. He's like always got a new project, something that he's working on. And the thing is like, yeah, you get certain pietists that would look at that and go, man, that guy, his love is clearly, you know, not for the gospel. It's worldly. Uh, He wants, all he cares about is motors or whatever. And in reality, like the young guys in the church, when their car breaks down, they need their brakes changed. Like whatever it is, they're calling my brother. And they're like, Hey, I need help with my minivan brakes. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, yeah, sure. Bring it on by. I'll show you how to do it. You know, so that. So having some hard, hard competencies along with hobbies could be really good. Another question that comes to mind, Dan, um, we have a lot of guys that we meet through, you know, online. I go to, you know, usually a couple conferences a year at different people's events and so on and so forth. One of the things that I noticed about a lot of the young people who are looking for spouses on both sides of the aisle, uh, there are a lot of very low EQ people out there. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how big of a red flag, how do you think about uh, emotional intelligence? And I guess for people who don't understand what I'm talking about. There are people who are just odd ducks. Like you meet them, especially with young people. And you're like, is this your first time talking to a real person? Yeah. Like what in the heck is going on here again? So how would you, maybe they, they ask inappropriate questions or they're just, I don't know, just weird. So, so how would you evaluate that? What, do, what are you looking for? What's like a non-starter versus like, okay, we, this needs to be worked on, but. Yeah. EQ also known as like emotional intelligence yeah. versus IQ, you know? Um, so that's, a, that's a difficult question to answer. I think because you have people that are genuinely like, they just don't have it. Like they, the social skills, they, there's no training that's going to help them, you know? And, and as a father, if I was evaluating someone like that as a suitor for my daughter, that would be uh, someone I would not recommend. And, and that sounds probably quite harsh, but the reason I would do that is as you look at the competence, confidence sort of scale, along with the potential for provision for, for my daughter, uh, a low EQ person just really does have a hard time. Engineering is about the the space where those people can live. And um, it's it's not, it's hard I don't want to be harsh, you know, because the reality is like, you know, some people are just gifted differently. Right. But if I'm trying to find like the ideal man for my daughter, it would be somebody that has high EQ. There's a reason that guys that are quite honestly, not that intelligent. I I mean, you get C's throughout high school and college, you like barely graduate, but it's because you're a social butterfly 
and you can talk to anybody. Those are the guys that are making a lot of money. If they're, if they're, you know, have a work ethic to compensate for their lack of intelligence, like those people will outperform the most intelligent person that can't carry on a conversation. Well, and a lot of it too is, uh, so productivity and, you know, the wage earning side, but then you just think about like all of life is relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So your ability to have a, a deep abiding, intimate relationship with your wife, well, that's going to be based on how well you can interact with another human being. And let's face it, marriage is one of the most difficult relationships you'll have at points during your earthly life. So if you're a low EQ person, it is going to exponentially multiply the heartache in marriage. Yeah, it's going to be really difficult because part of EQ is your ability to understand the emotions of the person that you're speaking with. Right. And so that's where why you get like really inappropriate questions from low EQ people is because they can't actually read the room. You know, they can't read the person that they're speaking to. And so when they get feedback, that's like, you know, that was a really offensive question. I can't believe you just asked that. They are left confused and flabbergasted because they have no idea what's going on. You know, so it's not just in marriage, which will be um, very, very challenging because believe it or not, men and women are different. Whoa, wait, you might have to and repeat that for when, some people in the back. <laughs> and when you have... Uh, a low EQ man who is speaking to a woman that is uh, somewhat more of an, an emotional creature. Red meat is a staple of a healthy protein packed diet, but not all meat is created equal. That's why I buy my meat from Salt and Strings Butchery. Salt and Strings is owned and operated by my friends Quinn and Samantha Bible, and the meat they offer is raised, harvested, and processed exclusively in Southern Illinois. It's cut and packaged by my friends Quinn and Anthony. And not only is it the best meat I've ever had, well, all their meat is sourced from local farms that share our Christian values. Salt and Strings is now offering a beef and hog box that can be shipped directly to your door. The 15-pound beef box features 100% black Angus beef and includes ribeyes, T-bones, sirloin, chakros, fajita meats, and ground beef. You can order your beef box today for just $259. They will send it directly to your door. The hog box is $239 and features premium Duroc pork, including eight thick pork chops, one of my all-time favorites, pork steaks, cured and sliced bacon, ground pork, bratwurst, and breakfast sausage links. You can place your order today at saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. And also be sure to follow Salt and Strings on Instagram. We'll also include the link in the show notes. And he can't read her emotions. That is going to be very challenging. That is. The other thing that is going to present challenges in family life is in children. Being able to relate to your children, being able to teach your children and instruct your children uh, is going to be very challenging as well. The, uh, and the thing is, like uh, a lower EQ guy typically will have a difficult time finding friendships. Because again, they're socially awkward. They can't carry on conversations very well. They don't know how to ask questions very well. And so that won't naturally bring along a lot of high quality friends. And so that's, that's going to hamper your child's opportunity to have other masculine influences or other families, see other godly women and godly men um, in your lives. And so those would be some of the reasons why I would discourage my daughter away from a low EQ guy. Because the thing is, you could have a righteous man. He's a really good godly man and he's low EQ 
and maybe he just needs some help. You know, maybe he just needs some training and, and that, that could help fix some of the problems, you know, because it's not, we're not talking about like a sin problem, like they're being sinful. Maybe they just didn't have, like you said earlier, a fatherly example to say like, son, that was a stupid question. Don't, don't speak to adults that way. You don't speak to men that way. You don't speak to women that way here. Instead of asking this question, try asking it this way. Yeah. And I, I, so I I would go in the same tact as you, I would say, yeah, generally you want to avoid the low EQ. Um, Now I would say for guys too, to give you hope, if you're one of those guys who maybe you struggle with conversation um, or, you know, we can all get better. I I think a couple of things I would point to number one, become a good listener. I tell my sons this all the time uh, because we'll be in a lot of social situations. They get nervous, particularly if there's members of the opposite sex. And they might say something dumb, but I always tell them, I said, guys, I said, you have the golden ticket. We have a cheat code here. If you shut your mouth, then you seem wise. So if all else fails, like if you're in a social situation and you absolutely don't know what to say, don't say anything. That would be better than saying something stupid. So that's one thing. The other thing is questions are your best friend. Yes. Um, so a lot of times uh, we've had a uh, relationship with people and the, Generally, when it goes well, they say, oh, your son is so thoughtful. Um, He's so courteous. And I was like, why would happen? Well, he was just asking me all these questions. How was my week? You know, you know, are you enjoying your time? Whatever. Um, So you can train yourself in a lot of those and you can, you know, you're not going to make a zero, a 10 on the EQ scale. Well, the thing is, though, but you can get better. It's also virtuous to be modest. Mm. And not just talking, blabbering about yourself, yeah. you know, and asking questions is a form of modesty because you're diverting the conversation away from yourself and taking an interest in the person that you're conversing with so that it's actually a virtue. It's a good thing to develop, whether you're high EQ or low EQ, like that's a good thing to develop. So you can get better at those things. I also noticed this with a lot of single people, the more that you hang out like a hermit alone, the worse your hard skills in these conversational areas, EQ, they actually get way worse. So I notice this a lot with like, um, you know, people who've been living alone for like 10 years or something, 10 years or more, been single for that amount of time. If they don't go out of their way to cultivate social relationships, you, you actually just lose those skills and get worse and worse and worse. And then it's going to be so much harder to jump back into it. So I would say if you're single and, you know, there's going to be people who've been single for a long time, the people I see doing it really well are like, yeah, maintain relationships in the church, have godly friendships. If it were me and I wanted to work on EQ specifically, I would hang out with people like Kevin Griffin, uh, one of the pastors here at the church. I, I mean, I learned something in every conversation. Kevin, from him. Kevin's going to be like, why, why are all of these engineers talking to me all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, why are they talking to me? <laughs> Kevin is so good at asking thoughtful questions. Yeah. In fact, he'll do it so well in conversation that I think, wow, I'm a schmuck. I just talk about myself. I know I'll get done. And I don't <laughs> realize that the entire time I did not ask him a single question. I know. Like, man, I really got to work on this. He's just so good at it though, because he genuinely cares. That's the other thing he cares. And so, so, so you can, you can learn some of those things. I think it's really helpful. Yeah. So oh, I would say uh, a recommendations. So you find somebody you respect. I think that's really good. Or that is mentors. Good at, yeah. Mentors. I think that's excellent. The other thing is uh, finding a tribe or in male. This is mostly men are, we're talking mostly men being low EQ here. Um, 
find male spaces that are exclusively male. So, uh, for example, I've got like a poker night on Saturday night. If you say something dumb at poker night, you will be informed. Oh yeah. That you said something dumb. Yes. And you, it will not be let go the whole night. And the thing is, it's, it's at that point. If you, if you don't have a good sense of humor, if you're a low EQ guy, you have to tell yourself going into those situations, I will be made fun of, and I'm going to laugh at myself and, yes. and, and learn from this instead of, instead of like being all um, upset. I was trying to find a nice way to say that instead of being upset about it, but finding those male spaces to where guys will, it, it means that you're part of the group. When you get made fun of, oh, yeah. you're, you have been accepted into the group and you have to be able to take that and then deliver it as well. Well, and a lot of those male interactions are what chips away the hard, rough edges of our character. So, I, I mean, you'll see this even with boys, but, you know, uh, I'll speak to my two oldest because they're funny on this front. They're like grumpy old Ben right now in their lives. That's, <laughs> that's how they uh, operate with one another. But it is really funny because like we'll be having like a social interaction in my, my middle, the younger, if he says something goofy or whatever, my oldest will just say, congratulations on having the first human conversation in your life. What was that? (laughs) (laughs) So afterwards he's like, look, don't say that. Here's what you need to say. And we kind of laugh about it, but then it's good because it's like, imagine if you don't have people in your life to say that, think about what happens to like homeless people. Um, or people who are actually like, you know, stranded for a long time or live in the woods as hermits, they become like crazy Yeah, because humans are made for social interaction. And so we need those relationships to help shape who we are. So again, yeah, be thinking about your tribe, who you hang out with. I understand what you're saying. If you're in, if you're in male only spaces with other guys that also struggle with this, you're probably not going to improve. One of the other things I think that we, we do need to talk about in something like this is spiritual leadership. This is pivotal as a Christian that as a man, you're prepared to lead your family spiritually. So as you're thinking about this as a young man, um, I I guess what sorts of things are you thinking of? I know for me, obviously it's going to be things like, do you read your Bible every day? Are you praying on a daily basis? So obviously we're encouraging those activities, right? But especially as the boys get older, I'm also like having them more engaged in leading portions of family worship. Oh, good. Yeah, that's interesting. But, and I will tell them, I'm like, you're going to have a family Lord willing and you need to know how to do this. Yeah, that's good. Um, so including them in that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, to our kids, okay, would you lead us now as we close and family worship or, you know, whatever. Uh, what other things would you be thinking of? Yeah, I, I was just thinking of my boys in family worship because they still find saying banana, banana, banana to be hilarious. <laughs> so I don't think they're ready to take the reins yet on portions of family worship. But yeah, yeah so some of, the, some of the things that get me most excited when young men ask me questions, uh, liturgy, asking me about the liturgy. I know that sounds really boring, but if somebody says like, why do you kneel during liturgy? Like that seems really weird. Or like, hey, I, I've really been... I was really, um, my interest was piqued when you talked about post-millennialism or something like that. Or like, what, are, what, do I, what do I need to know to be a good spiritual leader in my home? Like those sorts of questions are really good. And some of the things that are most important, the most important things, obviously like your spiritual disciplines, like you said, are very important. Um, being consistently in the uh, corporate worship in, on Sundays and the Lord's Day. Like those are all very important. So not to undermine any of that, like the spiritual disciplines are absolutely vital. Um, 
those are your meals. Like that's how you feed yourself, you know, every, every week. Um, but one of the things that's really important is being able to deal with sin. How do you deal with sin? Either you've sinned or somebody has sinned against you. What do you do? Really? I mean, if you want to talk about some of the things that are most important in day-to-day life is just what do you do with messes? Because they're going to happen. They're going to happen all the time. You, you do it on purpose or um, by accident. Um, you're going to sin and somebody is going to sin against you. And all of your relationships are going to be around this issue. It's like, what do I do now? There's now a mess. How do we clean up the mess? And this is a uh, husband to wife, wife to husband, um, father to son, you know, father to kids, mother to kids. Um, what do you do? How do you actually deal with that? That's why I get excited about liturgy because Eric, I mean, you'd pointed this out a long time ago, like, well, the pattern of liturgy is walking one through repentance, right? Mm, so, yeah. so it, it's really important. You have a call and then you have confession and then you have an assurance of pardon and you receive forgiveness. You hear um, the word of the Lord and then you feast together. And, you know, that's kind of like the basics of our, of the liturgy. And you're walking through um, this constant cycle of, of sanctification when sin occurs. How do you deal with the conflict that comes from that? Mm. And I think that is, that is going to, if you, if you can get that, if you're a humble man who is willing to repent and own his sins 100%, and to take responsibility for your own sins. And you're quick to forgive and genuinely forgive, not treat someone on the basis of their sins. That's what forgiveness is. Willing to not treat someone on the basis of their sin. You will make life so much better for those that are under your care. Oh, big time. So one of the things I would recommend, like maybe you're a young man, you're listening to this, or a young lady, or you're a parent. But for, for young people getting ready for marriage, for anyone, but especially for you, one of the most vital, valuable tools you could have, read a book like Ken Sandy's Peacemaker, learn how to practice this, this recon- biblical reconciliation on an ongoing basis. Um, Dan's absolutely right. Like if, if you model it in your home, um, it's, it's going to be such a valuable thing that your kids can take into marriage um, if you're quick to forgive and you've practiced it, not just because you read the passage about it, yeah. But you actually have the habit in your life that when, when your brother says to you, you know, uh, please forgive me. And then you say, I forgive you as Christ forgives me. And you mean it. Yeah. Like, and you've trained your heart that way that you're quick to forgive. Man, take that into marriage. It's going to be so valuable. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the things that, you know, when, when my wife and I got married, of course, didn't know any of that. And so there was like uh, the first year of marriage, we ended up going to uh, get biblical counseling to help us walk through a lot of this stuff. And it was so useful, really set the trajectory for a healthy marriage. So for a lot of young people, it's like, well, you can work on that now um, and you can get good at reconciliation from the perspective of like evaluation. You're evaluating people. Uh, what, what would be some of the, I guess, red flags like, uh, we're all sinners. We're acknowledging that everybody's going to have to reconcile. Um, but what would be some red flags in that like dating relationship, young guy or gal um, that you would say, uh, this really bothers me about the peacemaking process. Yeah. So one of the things it, it, sometimes it's actually hard to see, believe it or not, is blame shifting, mm. not owning your sins completely. 
And, and the thing is, is you have two types of personalities. There's probably more than that, but I'm going to simplify it. You have two types of personalities. The first one is the person that is going to definitely blame shift. Like they're not going to want to take responsibility for anything. Okay. And then the other extreme is the person that will own all sins just for the sake of peace. Just to end it. Even, even if they didn't commit those sins, mm. like all of them, you'll just take responsibility for everything. I'm sorry we fought. It was all my fault. I started it. You know, you just reacted. It's all my fault. Like just to make peace, which is actually a false peace because there's, there's still sin there, you know, uh, and you've just owned sin. That's not yours. And You're actually preventing repented. the other person from repenting. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it'll make things worse. So you have two polar extremes in this category, I think of owning sin and, and blame shifting. And so those are two areas that I would definitely look for as a huge red flag, especially well. So Owning sins that aren't yours, it tends to be effeminate for men. Blame shifting. You know, because you just want to be at peace. Like it's like my my grandma always would say to us boys, like, oh, nice, 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 nice. You know, it was everything we we're we we're fighting or whatever, just being rough. Nice, nice, nice. Ken Sandy you know? actually refers to this as peace faking. Oh, okay. It's a form of peace faking. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I should read that book. It's excellent. Uh, and then and then yeah, the, there's a copy right next to you on my yeah, uh, there's three of them right there. My so. psychiatrist couch. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but with the, with the blame shifting, that's, that is actually genuinely dangerous. Um, I, I think the other way is, is a, um, is a character flaw that needs to be corrected, you know, with taking your, your piece faking is definitely a character flaw that needs to be corrected because there's something there where you're avoiding conflict, um, that needs to be embraced. But, but blame shifting is a huge red flag because it shows a lot of arrogance and pride because those types of people cannot be corrected. Right. Because if you're like, well, whatever you say is like, you know, I'm rubber, your glue and whatever you say bounces. Anyway, you won't actually end up owning anything. And that person is a person that is not very quick to repent. Also a, a person that probably will not be very quick to forgive. Well, it's interesting because you think about, think about all the marriage counseling that we've done over the years. Uh, this church uh, elsewhere, you know, long, long histories of counseling. But I think back then, I think some of the most miserable, horrible marriages that I've ever seen basically come down to the hard heartedness of refusing to repent and forgive in the proper yeah. way. Oh man. And even the worst, most heinous sins Weaponizing that we've seen. Sins. Yeah. Even, yeah. even when there's adultery or pornography or all these horrible things that can happen, if someone will genuinely repent and be forgiven, those marriages can be restored. Yes. So, uh, it's I'm, unbelievable actually watching it unfold. Yeah. Cause you're like, there's no way this marriage will be saved. And then they're like, I sinned. Here's how I sinned. And naming the sins, please forgive me for these sins. What do I need to do in, to make this right? Restitution. Restitution. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, unbelievable. They actually repented, but you get other marriages that are just like, there's no huge event, no covenant breaking sin. It's just, massive weaponization of sins and blame shifting, like just, and they're just miserable to petty, each other, bitter, m malicious spats. So, so I would say, say the same thing to young men. Like obviously as you're preparing for marriage, work on this in yourself, but I would also be evaluating very, very highly in, in a young lady. I would be saying to myself, you know, if, if something comes up and there's conflict, cause there will be, and you say, Hey, this really bothered me. Like you did this thing. You said this thing that that was really offensive. Mm -hmm. And if they go, oh, well, you know, it just happens or blah, 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 blah. If, if you can't come to a resolution in which the, the solution is, you're right, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? 
Now, if they say that, I say glory, you know, if, yeah. if we can genuinely repent and be humble, here's where I worry about it too. If somebody's hard hearted and won't genuinely repent, the reason it's a non-starter for me is because you're, you, that is the potential for a marriage that is absolute hell on earth. Yes. I've seen it. Yeah. On the, again, on the flip side, just to repeat myself, if you can have the worst things go on or the biggest difficulties, you know, loss of children, loss of job, loss of house, intense physical health problems, suffering of all kinds. If you have two humble, repentant people, you can make it. Yeah. It's going to be okay. So I would be evaluating those things. Um, Dan, I kind of want to close with the final thing that I'll say is we're not going over everything, but these are some of the core issues of like, how do you get ready for marriage? One of the biggest issues that I, I see least attention paid to, but that I would evaluate very highly. Does this other person, this other single person, do they honor their parents? Mm. And this is a lot of people say, yeah, but you know, I had terrible parents. Scripture doesn't give you a caveat to say, well, if you had bad parents, trash them. It says you have to honor your parents, which is a positive thing. So one of the things that I'm always looking for is, you know, and, and most of the time, you know, fortunately in our circles, it's not like absolute, you know, you, you, your parents are serial killers or something. It's like, maybe they're hard to get along with, but I'm actually interested in that situation. How does the young person, boy or girl, how do they honor their parents? And here's why I think about it. Then I want to get your thoughts. Uh, Ephesians 6 tells us that the commandment, the first commandment comes with a promise of a legacy in the land. I want my legacy to go on as a father through my children and through my offspring. It's not going to do that if they marry someone who is dishonoring their parents. Like God's promise is also like, you'll be, you'll be cut off if you dishonor your parents. So I just want to ask you, how big of an issue is that for you? Do you think that's right? That I, that I would say it's, it's such a pivotal thing to address while dating. Yeah, I, I agree that it's absolutely vital. Actually, uh, maybe an idea for another show is how to honor. How do you do that? How do you honor parents that don't deserve it? Yes. That would be a really interesting one. And I would listen to it. So um, as far as evaluating a potential spouse and the way that they treat their parents, the way that they honor their parents, absolutely that is vital. But one of the things that you'll see is that you, you probably have some sort of generational sins there. Do you think that a person that shows dishonor to their father and mother, do you think their father and mother did the same thing? Probably, probably showed dishonor, probably for generations that happened. And so you can see the fruit. You can kind of see it coming down the, down the line. So there's going to be multiple relationships that are affected. Obviously, if, if um, your son or daughter marries this person who dishonors their parents, what sort of fruit do you think that's going to lead in that, leave in that household? Well, it probably won't be long before you are dishonored, before you are dishonored and shamed because of, because of that sin that's now infiltrated the house of your son or daughter. And then what are your grandchildren going to learn to dishonor their father and mother? You know, it's just, it's going to breed, uh, honestly, death is what, is what it's going to breed. It's going to be really bad. So, um, yeah, I would definitely agree with you. There's much more that could be said on that, but yeah. that's a huge red flag. Yeah. And a lot of times too, I will say on this one, you know, if you're one of the parents involved in this situation, it may be that you address it. You, you know, if you're the father of a girl, maybe you address it with the young man. You say, listen, that you, you need to honor 
your parents. And here's why maybe they respond well to that. Um, that's the other thing I, I would just say is like having adults involved in these types of conversations is really helpful. Um, you know, by all means, don't be overbearing, but it, it is actually really helpful to have discipleship input again. Cause you and me, I, I look back when I was 16, wasn't exactly thinking clearly, didn't have a lot of wisdom. In fact, I had almost none. Um, but you thought you did, but I thought I was a genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it really is true. I mean, like even with my parents, I remember, you know, once my family started, I, I told my dad this the other day, like, I think it was about my second child. I was like, my, I owe my parents like the world's biggest apology because when I was 18, 19, it's just this tendency in young people, if they're not trained otherwise to revile and you think, Oh, my parents don't know nothing. They're just grumpy old people. And then later I was like, Oh, this is hard. You know, parenting is hard. They were doing the best that they could. We all make mistakes. And so, you know, your kids are going to say the same things about you. Um, So training them now saying like, okay, here's how you honor so it means that honoring, just like submission implies that there's going to be times you disagree. Yeah. Honoring implies there's going to be times when you don't want to, or when you think you have a good reason not to. And that's when you, you know, that's when you do that. Uh, Dan, it's been a phenomenal conversation. Hopefully it's been helpful for our listeners, single people, parents, et cetera. If you guys do have questions, would love to hear those. Uh, you can respond on social media. If you're a Patreon subscriber, of course, there's chats going on on Patreon, also Discord channel. We'd love to hear your feedback. It's always really helpful in shaping and framing the conversation. Dan, any final thoughts as we depart this glorious subject? I'll just say the more that we talk, the more I realize that we covered almost nothing. Almost, It's a big subject, it's right? It's humongous. It's a huge yeah. subject. So yeah, definitely send in your comments, feedback. We appreciate those. If you are not yet a Patreon subscriber, you can become one today for as little as $5 a month. If you do that, you get access to exclusive pugilist content like this with yours truly and especially the host with the most, Dan Burkholder. <laughs> that's you. That's me. Yeah, that $5 is a month, you get Dan Burkholder's wisdom? Wow, that's too cheap. Think about this, Dan. <laughs> $10 a month, they Let, can get your it. wisdom plus. That's too much. A Hardman podcast or pugilist mug. Think about that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's way too generous. Yeah. Way too generous. We are like Tom Bombadil here. The, (laughs) the generosity is just overflowing. That's what we do. That is what you do, Eric. (laughs) No, we, (laughs) that is what we do. So definitely subscribe on Patreon. We appreciate that very much. Dan, until next time, I don't have a closing for the pugilists. So do you remember the Hardman podcast closing? Stay frosty. Fight the good fight and act like men. Yes. Really? really? That's the <laughs> outro music, right? It's beautiful.